Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 191 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 17th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk about USC's big victory over California on the road, AT&T Park on Thursday night. We're going to talk about that. We'll also get some recruiting questions we've got to get to with Gerard Martinez, our national recruiting analyst. We're going to give uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, he's on secret assignment this week, we're going to give him a week off. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer covering the team. He was up there at at and Park. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, very good. Yeah. And so far, so good. Five and one good, I guess, uh, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, five and one, not too bad. <laughs> not too bad of a start for the team. Uh, well, we got a bunch of questions, Dan. I wanted to, uh, before we get into it, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for concerts sporting events, the theater, whatever you want to do. You want to see it in Southern California, anywhere across the country, you can go to sctickets.com and they can help you out. And Dan, I guess uh, overall impressions, we got to, uh, we didn't get to talk to you on our, our live show. We did a live show on Ustream uh, Thursday night, pregame, halftime, and postgame, and there were some, some bad connections apparently over the internet, so we couldn't get to get you on the phone to talk about it. But, you know, maybe kind of get your initial thoughts of, uh, you know, coming off of that game and then, uh, you know, going the team actually going five and one. It's a pretty impressive start, and obviously it can go downhill with some some tough games coming up. But it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you would certainly like to uh, have another shot at the Arizona, you know, state game. And uh, after watching last night with Oregon, you realize, you know, Arizona State, if you push them hard enough, uh, will revert to becoming Arizona State. Uh, and USC wasn't able to do that on their first road game, so. Uh, uh, you know, that's a, a opportunity, you know, missed. However, they did push Cal the other night uh, with the USC defense, pushed Cal hard, and Cal became Cal, uh, the way Cal has played against USC and, and pretty much uh, destructed, turned the ball over. And I thought Lane Kiffin came out of that game with the totally right attitude of, not the play caller whose offense hadn't done all that well, but as the um, uh, head coach who was really pleased that his defense took the ball away five times, and really they won ugly. They won in a way uh, that they haven't been doing uh, in terms of uh, their defense basically set the tone for the whole game. And uh, this was, uh, I think this is something they need to do. This is returning, I think, to the, to their roots and and the things that you know that carried in with Pete Carroll was that they were going to beat you with their defense first. They were going to turn the ball over. They were going to try to make it as easy as they could for their offense. And if the offense isn't always there, which offenses aren't always there, um, your defense can always be there. Your defense can be there every game. And they played up a little bit, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. They uh, were much more comfortable. Cal runs an offense that similar to USC's. They're comfortable playing against Cal. They were really comfortable playing them last year. Uh, one hopes that they can use the Cal game this year uh, unlike the way they used it last year. Last year it seemed like just an aberration and then it went away. And then they tried to come up with new kinds of defenses to play against uh, Oregon and what have you. And they seemed to kind of lose their place a little bit. And then they <laughs> Then, you know, the defense started getting a little more solid toward the end of the year, and the offense kind of went away. So uh, uh, one would think that if this can be a building block. This can be something that says, okay, this is who we are, and this is how we win football games. Uh, you know, they could you know, make something uh, of the rest of the season. They've got a wonderful opportunity uh, because of the teams they play. I mean, they could – you know, move right up the you know ladder if uh, you know they obviously they got to beat everybody they play, but uh, they do have a chance. You know, and, and you would like to see them do it the way 
Sanford and Oregon do it, and I know that's probably uh, you know an, you know anathema to say that on you know on the USCfootball.com uh, board, but uh, Cal, I mean Oregon and Stanford do it with toughness. They do it with believing in everything they're doing. And uh, no matter who has who they do it with, they did it with you know a rookie quarterback last night without Michael James, and they just come along in second half and play tough as heck. And that's what you want to see USC get back to, where where USC is the tougher team on the field. USC is the team that exerts its will in the second half. USC is the team that knows how to win and knows who it is. And this is who we are. This is how we win football games. Uh, and that's been kind of the missing element, and it's the thing I think, you know, you would hope that maybe the Cal game points them in the right direction. Yeah, we will see. And uh, But, it, you know, it's a good start if they can uh, take out Notre Dame or Stanford. You know, you beat one of those two teams, or if you beat them both, obviously it's great. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. But we have a lot of questions, Dan, so maybe we should uh, jump in and start getting to some of these. Uh, we have a couple thoughts from Lawrence, who's in Dallas, Texas, and he says, with Anthony Brown going down with a broken ankle, can he get a medical red shirt? And uh, we did find out yesterday he had surgery on Friday. I think he's still in the hospital. He's coming back. And then the other point was there are a lot of doubters circling USC. Uh, will they, with this win, will they finally give Lane his credit? Um, you know, he definitely has his distractors out there. What do you, what are your thoughts on Anthony Brown and, and, and giving Lane some credit here? You know, I was, I had to double check and I've got it. That's a good question. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Let me see. He can only play three games. So I'm, uh, I think he's, yeah, I think he's played four. I think he has played, yeah. um, he's, he's played past the, the three games. I'm just looking it up, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so he can only play three. And so, yeah, it's a bad, uh, you know, terrible pun uh, break uh, when it happens. After you've played the three games, there's nothing you can do once you've played 25% of of the season. So, no, he'll – but, you know, he had a a pretty good – I think the fact that he worked his way in, got some starts, and, um, you know, showed what he could do, uh, which is all he's ever wanted was a chance. And he worked so hard in the winter and worked so hard in the summer – was such an inspiration, I think, to the rest of the players that, that uh, I think there will always be a role for, for Anthony, uh, you know, with this team. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, as far as Lane, I think it's too early. Uh, I think it's too early. I think, you know, this, this week is a – and uh, that will be my in a column that I'm writing tomorrow. I, or, you know, we're actually writing it on Monday now that I think about it. Um, um, for uh, – uh, looking ahead the rest of the week uh, will be, um, uh, you know, where where does this week set up for Lane Kiffin? I mean, this is really, uh, Lane said Sunday in practice that, that he can't coach based on what happened last year, and you can't coach, you know, and use last year necessarily as a motivator, uh, but clearly that was the, the low point of the season and game, you know, game, Plan and execution-wise, and the lower point even than that was ending the Notre Dame streak and getting Notre Dame, giving Notre Dame basically a chance to build everything around. We're back. We beat USC. Look at us. And then they're setting up their season this year around this game. I mean, there's no question about it. That um, I mean, you, if you had to guess, they're probably going to break out the green jerseys. They're playing the first night game in 21 years. They. Uh, they made a deal with NBC that this game actually counts as two games for their contract that they know they own uh, NBC so many games a year. And they said, well, if we put the USC game at night, can we count that as two games? And uh, they said, yeah, you can. So um, uh, this is this is really big for Notre Dame, and it's really big for Elaine because uh, one game is, okay, an aberration. It's just one game. It's a blip. Two games – to Notre Dame, if you lose your first two to Notre Dame, if you start the streak in the other direction, that will really be a difficult thing for a, a USC coach to get over. Uh, I think it'll be I mean, this is really really uh, a must win I think for Lane. So I don't think anybody's making any decisions this week. Uh, next week I think you can ask the question and uh, you'll have a lot better answer. 
Okay. Uh, well, thanks for that one. Let's go. JJB. So that was a question from Dallas. Nice. Uh, we love the questions from all over the place. International questions, not that Texas is another country, although sometimes they think they are. But, you know, just other, we love to get the questions from all over the place. So if you want to, when you email your questions in podcast at uscfootball.com, let us know where you're at. Uh, JJB had a Dylan Baxter question. We get a lot of these. Um, first, he wanted to say that the, he thinks the reason they moved George Farmer to running back is because they can line him up at tailback and then shift him to a wide out and it would get a mismatch with a linebacker. Um, it would make him a double threat. Do you think they could do the same thing with Dylan Baxter? He's a great receiver, true running back, and he could also throw the ball, making him a triple threat. They're going to lose this guy. Why don't they at least put him in certain packages? And I know, Dan, you've, you've talked about this as well. So he's had a lot of questions about what's going to happen. Is it, you know, do they want him to, you know, to leave and, and free up a scholarship? What's going on here? What, what do you think is going on with Dylan Baxter right now? It's really difficult, and I don't think he knows. When you talk to him about it, he doesn't. He doesn't know. I would guess that he, from everything we know, he's probably not the ideal kind of running back for Kennedy Palomalu. He's just not. The, his skill set is not exactly what Kennedy is looking for in running back. Uh, and I think we always knew this. And last year, they they probably figured out some really nice ways. I thought to handle, uh, you know, Dylan's, you know, shiftiness, his kind of innate instinct to do the right thing with the ball, his very good hands. You ask any of the quarterbacks and they'll tell you, you know, by far the best pass receiver in the backfield is Dylan. Uh, good slot receiver. I thought the, they, they incorporated him really well into the red zone offense last year where he could come out and if he was in the huddle, you didn't know if he was going to come out and line up as a slot receiver and get deep into the end zone as he did, uh, you know, against Stanford, or if, uh, you know, he was going to come out and throw the ball into the end zone uh, for a touchdown as he did against UCLA. And he does those things naturally. He does them in space. Uh, if it were me, for example, uh, rather than practicing one-of-a-kind trick plays where you snap the ball sideways to the tight end, you know, your tight end, I think just having Dylan Baxter in the game in situations like that gives you the ability to run stuff they can't be prepared for that allows them to go in a number of different directions. Why they went away from that after I thought they installed it really well last year. Now, obviously, he got hurt in that Stanford game uh, and didn't get to you know do that for the rest of the year much until a UCLA game. Uh, to me, that would be enough of a change of pace to, uh, you know, allow you to kind of be using trick plays, plays that teams are having trouble, you know, preparing for or not knowing at all what you're going to do just by incorporating Dylan as a backs cat. Now, that's just, that's me. But, uh, you know, I'm not coaching the running backs and, and uh, you know, don't know every, you know, inside detail on everything. But, uh, but I think you have to set it up for Dylan uh, especially, you have to figure out these are the three things that he he does really well, and we are going to incorporate those. Uh, last year they did. Uh, they had luck, I think, more than anything. Uh, and then you know some of Dylan's, uh, you know, being a freshman and, and not handling everything well off the field uh, contributed to that not happening as much as it should have. But I think it could have happened this year. It hasn't happened, and it doesn't show any signs that it might happen. But uh, but if that were me, that's what I that's probably what I would do. All right, JJB, thanks for that question. Uh, let's see. Let's go. Michael had a couple observations. One, he says our D line is getting tackled and held on almost every play. I watch the line of scrimmage on every snap, and what is going on there is ridiculous. What can the coaches do to get these calls? And then number two, he said, would Lane or Monty consider using T.J. McDonald? one-on-one against bigger receivers in the red zone or on third downs just to add some physicality and size. They could get McAllister more snaps at safety as well, just thinking outside the box. That's Michael. Well, I think in the red zone, one of the problems with, uh, with McAllister, he's not maybe necessarily your man-to-man guy. Uh, he's much more of a, a center fielder on the zone, as he showed again today. You know, you throw it up deep and, and over the middle and late, He's going to catch it, you know. I mean, if there's every, you know, eight guys out there, he's going to be the one that catches it. He's really good at that. Uh, 
you know, if you were going to move T.J. McDonald, as far as I was concerned, I might make him an outside linebacker uh, more than uh, more than a corner. I'm not sure that playing, um, you know, press coverage and, and really trying to – now, I think he could certainly deny guys, you know, coming off the line of scrimmage and all that. But what T.J. would like to do is make a tackle in the backfield more than, uh, you know, track some guy – He's running, uh, you know, a double double pattern or something like that, and trying to get rid of him. I don't think that's exactly what TJ would rather do. His aggressiveness and his toughness, and his ability to, you know, grab people with one hand and, and tackle them. I mean, he's just uh, he's more of uh, uh, the next stop would be an outside linebacker, as far as I'm concerned, with TJ than uh, than a corner. Although he would be a physical guys, uh, those six three and, and bigger wide receivers, which everybody seems to have now. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, you see them everywhere. And you're going to see another one this week, you know, with, uh, with Notre Dame and Michael Floyd. You know, every week uh, it's probably a good thing for USC to, to have seen this many, uh, you know, this many weeks in a row. This will be the fourth straight week where, where you've got a team with either one or two, six three, six four. Uh, wide receivers who can really play. So, uh, you know, maybe the, the Michael Floyd uh, mismatch uh, that a lot of people anticipate won't be quite so bad. And it's probably the one positive, not one positive thing, but it's, it is one positive thing out of Isaiah Whaley. Uh, his, uh, you know, uh, first extended play was against Cal, and uh, he's 6'1", 185, and he will hit you. And he likes to, you know, he likes to hit you, and he likes to be physical. And, uh, uh, you know, he, with Anthony Brown, uh, you know, not available, and Torrin Harris maybe not available, uh, Isaiah Wiley steps in, and uh, he isn't afraid to mix it up with the big guys, and he's, you know, he's not, not at much of a size disadvantage. So, uh, uh, so I think, you know, that can work uh, to USC's, you know, advantage a little bit here that, that Isaiah was able to, you know, get ready to play and played as well as he did the other day against Cal. Yeah, certainly. And uh, he was getting first team reps on Sunday in practice. So we'll, we expect to see more of him. Uh, thanks for that one. Those Michael. And let's see, we have, there's a quick one from Brian. Uh, talk about Devonte Wilson. Uh, why isn't he listed on the rosters? Did he transfer Burks to Paulo Palme? They're all on there. Um, I think he was a gray shirt, right, Dan? Right? Yes, he's a gray shirt. So he's uh, officially entering in uh, January. So uh, he's yes, he's definitely not on the roster, and he's not in school. And that was the uh, decision they made when with his injury before um, before school started and practice was that uh, that he would come in in, uh, in January. So he is not on the roster, and that's uh, correct. Okay, uh, Dan. This is going to be an interesting voicemail question. We're going to go with. Um, just to, to set it up a little bit, when you're talking about, when you're covering the team, I mean, just so people know, you know, you're, you're being an objective person, you're trying to be objective, you're watching what's going on, you're reporting on what's happening, you're not supposed to be, you know, rooting for a team, you're not doing anything like that, but there are some writers that end up um, having more of a, a negative, I guess, reputation, and some of the ones, I don't know, well, I'll just play the question and you kind of see, and maybe kind of get okay. your professional thoughts on uh, what, the, what this person is talking about. Yeah, hi, Ryan. I know you're in uh, Northern California right now. I hope you're enjoying your time, your stay. I want to ask you a question. Do you think, I don't know if you saw the press conference with Steve Spurrier with uh, the other USC. Um, it looks like he decided to um, do his report without uh, a reporter being in in the uh, conference room because he wrote like, false information on, on his program or activities. And I wanted to know that was different um, if, Scott Wolf is entering that area where I noticed that he writes very negative things like um, uh, talking about the uh, running back uh, from San Diego, um, Baxter, uh, you know, wanting to transfer or having no choice but to transfer. You know, it's a lot of negativity in the program, and I don't know if it should be welcomed and dealt with, ignored, or it should be uh, dealt with in uh, ridding ourselves of something things of that nature. Just wanted to get your opinion or coach's opinion on this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, interesting question. The fact that you mentioned uh, Steve Spurrier. First, the first uh, uh, 
BCS championship game that I ever covered was uh, Florida and Nebraska, and and I had been, you know, I'd covered the SEC, had covered, uh, you know, Florida and covered Spurrier for a number of years, but you know, basically as a as a Kentucky rider, and uh, so I was at, it was a Fiesta Bowl in uh, in uh, uh, Tempe, and I asked Steve Spurrier a question. Florida had never won a national championship, and they're playing Nebraska, who'd won a whole handful of them, and I. Asking this question, I said, Steve, uh, have you guys uh, looked? Are you looking at this game as this is the game that gets you over the hump? This puts Florida up there with the other big boys who won all won the national championships. And Florida has been a good program for a long time, but hasn't ever made it to a national championship. And his he looks at me and he says, Where are you from? Huh? Where are you from? No, I said, Actually, I am from the South. I so, you know, so he, he, he didn't like the idea of being asked, is this the game that you have to win to get over the hump? Now, they got their, they got killed by uh, Tommy Frazier in Nebraska that night. Uh, but uh, uh, he actually went on eventually and answered the question, which what, the answer he gave was, yeah, we, we do have to beat Nebraska. We do have to win a game like this to get us out of that second tier of teams that have never won a national championship. So it's interesting you mentioned Spurrier. I think we're I don't I didn't like what happened with Spurrier and the uh, columnist from the Columbia paper was the fact that it was a grudge that he's held for months and months and months about this guy wrote a column which said that Spurrier recruited a basketball player to come play for the football team and that Spurrier said that was absolutely not true. Uh but they've had a long time to settle that and I'm not sure you should wait till you know, someday a guy shows up at a football press conference and you, you know, start going nuts about you're not going to be there uh, if he's sitting in the press conference. So I don't think that's the right thing. Uh, as far as the specifics of USC and Lane, I think Lane right now is play, just kind of having fun with it. Uh, it really doesn't bother him. Uh, it is kind of, I think, maybe Lane's way of saying, you know what, whatever you say, whatever you do, this isn't really going to bother us. Now, one of the things that does bother me a little bit is if a person follows a particular player who might be in, you know, some difficult times that are, you know, happening for a kid like that. And why I I can't imagine uh, an adult, a professional, would go after that particular kid in a way that maybe he could get him to say something at a time when he's kind of down and put himself in in a more difficult situation. I don't respect that very much. I don't think that that, uh, that's our job uh, to, uh, to, uh, you know, I think if, if push comes to shove, they're college kids, you know, a lot of them aren't 20 years old yet, they're still teenagers. And uh, I think a lot of it is our responsibility almost to protect those kids and, and probably to want what's the best for them. And I know that's a fine line between, you know, being a journalist and, you know, and being fair and being, you know, honest with your readers and all of that and still uh, having the sense to uh, uh, try to also do the best for the, the, the players that you're covering. And it's certainly not to do the worst by them or to try to encourage them to maybe say something or whatever that will be, you know, more sensational and get more, you know, uh, attention paid to you as the writer, uh, even if it does hurt the, you know, the young man who maybe only does that because you're asking him a certain question that he doesn't answer as well as you'd like him to, or as well as he probably should. So that'll be my take. But I, I don't think any, you know, anyone other than that particular situation, I'm not sure that anybody seems to uh, be all that worried about what what is written um, from that particular point of view. It, it just doesn't seem to be all that um, uh, impactful anymore. Well, very. Uh, I can say that is. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it, Dad. man. That was a good one. That was a good one. Okay. <laughs> Really good. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for that question in there. We'll have another voicemail question come up in a bit. But uh, Ricky wanted to know. He said he watches Lane Kiffin on the sideline more and more, and he's he's like when things aren't going according to plan, he seems to have a tendency to show bad body language, like a "woe is me" type of look. Do you think it's imperative that he show better body language 
So his players maintain a more positive attitude. He definitely doesn't like Dylan Baxter when he comes off pouting. Fight on, please. Read the full message so that the other fans know what, I, what where I'm making my point. So I tried to read your whole message there, Ricky. Um, what do you think about that, Dan? Kiffin's uh, bad Ricky, I, I think he's got a point. I mean, I think it's one of the difficulties of being the head coach and the play caller because if you're going to do a good job calling the plays, you really have to be focused on the plays and uh, on the next play. And the next series, for example, a couple of weeks ago when uh, um, – uh, T.J. McDonald opened the game with two interceptions and, you know, made a beeline to Lane with the football to give it to Lane uh, because, uh, you know, there had been the big issue about, you know, that there, there, it's such a deficit uh, in, turn of, in terms of turnovers. And uh, he wanted, and, you know, the, if the uh, defense, you know, gets more turnovers than the offense gives up and what have you, they, they get the, you know, they get real ice cream, not yogurt at the uh, next, uh, you know, uh, night before the game at the hotel. And uh, TJ was kidding about that a little bit, but he said I wanted Lane to make sure he was keeping track. And Lane's problem was, okay, a quick turnover, uh, you know, turn, uh, turnover in, in possession change forces you as the play caller not to be spending any time congratulating the guy that made the interception or thinking about, great, way to go defense. You have to be focused already on the next series of plays you're going to call. So Lane's first reaction was, I don't even know why he gave me the ball. You know, that's, uh, I think that makes it a difficult situation to be the head coach and be the play caller, especially if you're the youngest head coach in, uh, in FBS, you know, football. Uh, that's a hard, hard, hard deal, I think. And, uh, and I do think there are some body language issues. I think one of them is, you know, just the idea that you have to kind of protect uh, your mouth so people can't be reading what you're saying in terms of calling the plays and that. You know, you don't want them to, to know, so you keep that, uh, you know, he keeps the visor low and he keeps the play uh, chart high. And it's like, is there somebody behind that, you know, that chart? And I would like to see the head coach's expressions and the head coach is able to be in every part of the game. And I, 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 I can't see how how long Lane can go as the play caller. I know he's got, you know, his reasons and whatever. I know he also knows how difficult it is to do. Uh, I think it's too difficult. I think coaching at, at a USC, coaching at any of the top eight or ten all-time historic college football programs is such an unbelievable challenge in the best of times. In the worst of times, with the kind of NCAA stuff that, that's hit him and the negativity about him and the negativity about Kiffin and all that, I think um, being the play caller is not the ideal situation for him, and it doesn't lend itself to almost anything good, and body language on the sidelines is one of them. So probably I, I would agree with that. All right, cool. Thanks for that question. Let's go. we got one more voicemail question. Here we go. Yeah, hi, Ryan and Coach. This is for uh, either Coach or uh, any other guest you may have on for that day that could address it. Um, I've been watching the defensive line with their lack of pressure by themselves um, on the quarterback, and I've noticed that they had good success every time they brought a, a backer against Cal, and I, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that they're going to have to rush five at least against Tommy Reese uh, of Notre Dame, or he'll just pick, you know, pick us apart. So I'd be interested in hearing the coach's opinion on that, and um I'm sort of looking forward to seeing five and six coming almost all the time, you know, to rush the passer. Because I think Reese has shown a tendency to fumble in the past, and turnovers I think will decide this game. And if Reese is given time with our secondary, I think he's going to hurt us a lot. And I don't think we can win just rushing four. So I'm looking for a lot of extra blitz packages and things like that. Curious to hear the coaches' uh, comments on that, and uh, appreciate all your good work. Thanks, guys. Okay, uh, not the coach, but uh, <laughs> hopefully a quote trusted guest uh, to answer this question. But uh, <laughs> the thing, the thing about the difference with Cal, and, and they really pretty much got pressure on Cal by bringing the front four. The reason they got pressure on Cal is Cal ran a more standard. You know why they do it? I don't know. I wouldn't run straight dropback stuff against USC. I sure wouldn't do it with a scattergun, uh, scatter arm quarterback who's got happy feet either. 
but that was pretty much the difference. Cows run in deeper patterns. Uh, they weren't taking all that underneath stuff, and they weren't, you know, shotgunning it and, uh, you know, or, or getting it out on a three-step drop. So I think that is the biggest factor. And, and one of the reasons teams aren't uh, uh, doing that much against USC, one of the reasons Syracuse didn't do it, uh, Arizona State didn't do it, and Arizona didn't do it, is because they know they will get pressure from that front four. Uh, and, and, you know, basically in all of those games, you got guys that are really close to making the play. I mean, they don't quite make the play, but they're doing it against teams that are trying – to get the ball out really quickly, and they're getting it out to receivers who are running underneath USC's really soft zone coverages. Okay, so it's not just, you know, you say, well, we're not getting pressure. There, there are lots of reasons for that. And a lot of them, you know, start with what's the other team doing to you and how are they taking advantage of it. And uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of teams, uh, you know, take the straight drop back route and uh, do a five-step drop and, you know, even do a lot of play action stuff uh, that takes a lot, you know, longer uh, to develop. The other thing I think is if you looked at the cow game, the secondary came up closer and played closer. Uh, Jawan Starling was talking today about by far his best game. He was in on a lot. He was up closer to the line of scrimmage. He made a lot more plays. He uh, was around the ball a lot more, uh, things he hasn't been doing. So uh, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with what do they do in the secondary? You know, instead of bringing a linebacker, uh, if you can, you know, really jam up the, so that they're not allowing people to run underneath, uh, you know, five, six, seven-yard routes that are unobstructed and the quarterback can, uh, you know, easily uh, – you know, throw that pass. Now, whether Notre Dame will try to do that or not, they've, uh, uh, you know, they've tried to go over the top a little bit, but they've, uh, according to Lane today, he really thought that they've they've picked up more of going underneath and going short with Tommy Reese. And uh, no question about it, you've got to get pressure on him at both ends, uh, you know, before he throws it. And uh, when he throws it, because, you know, that's been, uh, you know, Notre Dame with the 10 turnovers the first two games and their losses is, uh, you know, obviously a key here. But uh, but I wouldn't say, you know, just automatically that the front four can't get pressure by themselves. They can get pressure if teams run uh, a more traditional uh, drop-back attack. They'll they'll get there. Right? They really will, even if they're uh, – you know, tackle like we we have a tendency to see it. I know to return to a previous question, uh, I would think that the coaches do what they've done a lot is they put together a package of maybe the, you know, the last 15 times uh, Nick Perry was held without any calls. I certainly would be doing that. I'm assuming they're doing that and sending it off to the Pac-12, whether, um, you know, whether that matters or not, I mean, if you watch the poor Pac-12 crew of of guys in the Oregon Arizona State game, which just boggles the mind that that crew was given that game, uh, it wouldn't matter what what you sent to them. I'm, those guys were lucky they they knew which you know which way the ball was going. I mean, it was just embarrassing that that crew had that game. So you know anything could happen. You know when you get that crew, for example, but. Uh, uh, but I would think USC is at least trying to make the league aware of the, the holding that's going on, and uh, there clearly is uh, holding going on. Okay, oh, so I guess that was part of from the last question. So we got, I think we uh, we got that all covered now. So let's see. We'll Hopefully, see. yes. Uh, right, the last one we got is from Coach G. He normally writes in to Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, he's an old football coach, and he's usually got some issues with the defense, and he had a couple points today. Um, he's, he says that the coaches right now are, are ignoring the importance of maining, man, excuse me, maintaining containment. Uh, he said he watched Stanford, and when they align their defensive ends or outside linebackers on the outside of the tackle, uh, they shade the outside, but they make sure no one would get outside of them. Um, this was obvious in a four-man or a five-man front. USC puts their outside linebackers head up uh, or slanting inside with no one in position to maintain containment. Why are they doing that? Um, sometimes they'll use a five-man front or bring up a DB to blitz. In my opinion, the lack of containment will be a difference in winning against Notre Dame, Stanford, and Oregon. And then the other one is, have you witnessed a goal line where running back runs up the middle untouched or a quarterback uh, off tackle untouched? Why is a running back 
Why is USC running a soft four-man front on the goal line? What happened to gap eight, gap seven, six, five, stuff like that? So he wants to know what's going on with the USC defense there. Uh, I mean, I think you make a good point, Coach G, but not one that the USC coaches don't make now. I mean, you know, probably uh, it was a tie between uh, poor tackling and um, and lack of containment, getting out of balance is the two things they did, you know, they did the worst. They're actually, except for the uh, uh, front four and pursuing uh, quarterbacks in the backfield uh, and not being able to tackle them, the tackling has certainly gotten better. It certainly was better against Cal. But the containment still uh, has some issues in terms of, uh, Quick changes of direction, or or uh, or counters that they're not anticipating, or what, or just escape by the quarterback, where he looks like he's going to be rushed, you know, and move one direction and comes back uh, quickly, and you find that USC has, you know, every single guy on the defense is on the other side of the center, and uh, you know they have some stunts where they take the two, you know, the end and the tackle come down, you know, across the middle. I mean, there was a play the other night where Devon Kennard absolutely was, you know, from his end position, came across center. He was on the other side of, this, of, of where the ball was snapped. Um, and if that linebacker takes a step the wrong way, and as you said, if he's lined up head up, uh, he's almost out of the play already. I mean, obviously that killed him at, uh, in that first big running play uh, that Arizona State used against him where, uh, you know, where the kid comes back and runs, you know, 81, whatever it was, yards, uh uh, and basically, until the end of the play, has nobody to run past because they're all, you know, they're all have all left, uh, you know, the right side of the uh, the defense and crossed the middle. Uh, so yeah, contain is a big issue. It's not one that they don't talk about all the time. It's not one that when you talk to them, the coaches, they don't talk about it. Uh, but some of the, you know, the lineups look a little funky. There are times when um, they didn't have, oh, which game was it? And, like a fourth down and and there were probably nine yards between the two tackles you know and i'm thinking well of course they're gonna you know sneak it and of course they snuck it and went forever i mean it was like uh uh you don't know sometimes what the heck they're they're supposed to be lined up in and 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 some of the goal line situations have been a little surprising in terms of the gaps that seem to be there uh from you know from the time they line up in the defense and and was that what they were supposed to do? I don't know. This this is not – I mean, this seems to be one of the issues is that are they competent to do all the things that the coaches want them to do? Or is that still that a little bit of that NFL uh, mentality where you, you know, can do all kinds of different adjustments and nuanced defenses and what have you week to week to week? And uh, – and just assume your players will understand what exactly you want to do. Obviously, last year they didn't have a clue much of the time what they were supposed to do, uh, on, especially when they adjusted or when they ran some kind of combination that they'd gotten ready for just that particular game. Uh, but it is, you know, I think the big issue with this team is um, where are these players, what can they do well, what should you have them do, you know, in terms of, you know, this is how I see the defense and this is how I see we should play. But if your players can't play that way, then you probably as a coach have to compromise and figure out what can I have these guys do that they will do the best. Um, That's kind of my take on it. Uh, It's sort of an anti-NFL take where basically they tell you, you better be able to do this because this is what we need you to do. And if you can't do it, you'll be somewhere else next week. Uh, that doesn't work at college. <laughs> you can't just get rid of guys. Um, you, know. you can't. You know, it's not. I mean, it's a little it's different. Just, There's no trade possible. market. Yeah, no free agents. None of that. Uh, all right. Well, Dan, hey, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming in. And uh, for all the Coach Harvey Hyde fans out there, we apologize. We're going to get him on again next week. We'll give uh, Coach a, a break. Give him a little bit of a day off. Uh, Dan, no day off for you. We'll be back. Uh, you actually, today, no practice today, but you will have practice tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, practice Thursday. Practice tomorrow, Tuesday. They're back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, head to South Bend Thursday night. So, uh, yep, this will be – it will be an interesting week, though, because of the fact they're going to be in South, or in basically in northern Indiana all day Friday 
and all day Saturday for that first night game in 21 years. And that all day Saturday is an extra additional bonus of extra time you get to be in northern Indiana. Uh, and that will be an interesting challenge, actually, I think, this week for this coaching staff to figure out what do we do with these kids for two full days in northern Indiana this week. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to check with Lane on Tuesday to see if he's figured out exactly what do they plan to do with him. That's a long time. That is a long time to be out there. We'll see. It'll, it'll be an interesting trip. Uh, they haven't played their best football on the road for sure, and uh, they're going to have to play some of their best football, I think, to beat Notre Dame. It's going to be a, it'll be a good one. And I think everyone out there in USC football land is hoping for a victory. And you know, we'll see, Dan. Maybe on Monday we'll be able to talk about one. Yep, this is a big, big, big. You can't say it enough. Big game for everybody involved. Uh, and I think it was interesting today, Marquise Lee said he had no Notre Dame-USC memories, but he realized at practice where everybody was just fired up and going at it, and on a Sunday, you know, he, he realized, I think it hit him, he said, this is a big deal. You know, this Notre Dame game is like, this is really a big deal. Now, Marquise is one of those guys that he shows up to play and practice every day. But it, it hit him that guys are really, this is something different this Notre Dame week. Yeah, well, I think it'll it'll hit the guys a little bit more once they hit practice on Tuesday. But on Sunday, it wasn't, you know, it's kind of that, that weird practice day. So they get the day off today. They'll be practicing again tomorrow and back at it, getting ready for Notre Dame. Dan Weber, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Ryan. Enjoyed it. All Bye. right. Yeah, everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to uh, Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk about some USC recruiting. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Let's talk a little recruiting, USC football recruiting with Gerard Martinez, our national recruiting analyst. Gerard, how you doing, man? What's up? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, pretty good, you know, just, uh, it was a weird weekend, you know, two weekends in a row, USC practiced on a Sunday, uh, one week was the bye week and the other one was the Thursday game, so it was a little bit different, the schedule was, uh, changing a little bit, um, it did give the coaches a chance to go out and, uh, do a little recruiting on their own, they don't really get an opportunity all that much, they, they got to go out there and, uh, check out some games. Yeah, definitely. They get uh, to go out on Fridays and, and be able to see, you know, a lot of games. And we saw them at a couple games uh, this weekend. And, um, you know, that's that's uh, a positive. I mean, you know, I think one of the things about having early practices is it's kind of another opportunity that they can actually go out and, and later in the day, uh, if need be, go out and, and see kids uh, practice also. I mean, you only get so much evaluation time, um, but obviously the timing of it all, uh, they can get off campus and, and be able to see kids more than if they were practicing themselves in the afternoon. Uh, yeah, and I got to, I guess I ran into one of them uh, this weekend. I ran into uh, Coach Joe Barry. He was at the, and actually uh, Coach Kennedy Palomalo was there for a little bit as well. I was at uh, a big rivalry game out in Downey. Uh, Jabari Ruffin uh, and Downey took on uh, Warren. Uh, they're both in the city of Downey. They're just a few miles apart. And uh, Kennedy Palomalo was there early. Then he went off to some other game and, I saw Joe Barry on the sidelines, USC linebacker coach, obviously checking out um, Jabari Ruffin, who I don't think he's seen in person so far this year, uh, checking that game out. So that was an interesting one to see. But the, the coaches kind of go out, and I think it's a nice opportunity for them that the bye week and the Thursday game give them a little bit of a break and give them a chance to uh, see some good Southern California high school football, although that game was not a good game. It was actually horrible. But it was fun to see Jabari Ruffin out there. We put up, we put up uh, some video of him. Yeah, he's going to be a, a big player for SC in, in the linebacker position where, you know, they just they, they don't have much depth. They kind of lack some talent. And it looked like, you know, in the video that Jabari Ruffin was actually playing kind of some defensive end and playing a lot on the line, uh, rushing the passer in that game. 
Yeah, he did. He uh, he was in. It was kind of like a hybrid, you know, like maybe like a Clay Matthews role. He, there wasn't a lot of drop back into uh, coverage or anything like that. He was uh, certainly uh, rushing the passer quite a bit, and it was fun to see him flying around the ball. He really just threw his body around uh, with reckless abandon. He was taller than most, you know, everyone else on the field, and it, it was it was tough because almost every play there must have been at least twenty five, thirty flags. I mean, and most of them were pre-snap flag so everyone would line up and then someone would move and it'd be false start and it would just happen over and over and over again so it just kind of takes the the flow out of a game and just the, the whole rhythm uh going out of there but the atmosphere was great i mean there was uh the, the crowd was screaming for both sides they were yelling at each other and just um cheering everybody on i mean they were cheering three yard runs but it didn't matter they were cheering for stuff uh but it, yeah, i think ruffin really got into it he uh dyed his hair uh, blonde, and it was really short. Um, it was kind of real short, but he did dye his hair blonde, was really into it. And on the very last play that Ruffin was in there, he caught a little, uh, he called it an out slant pass or something like that. We went out and then just slanted back in only about two yards and from the line of scrimmage. He caught the ball and hadn't been targeted the entire game. He was more, you know, he's getting bracketed. Uh, we see a lot of times with talented guys that, you know, by a couple of different players, they didn't even throw it to him once the entire game. The one time they throw it to him, boom. He takes it to the house, running right at me, so you can see this in the video, and he does a somersault into the end zone and, and gets a flag, which is his second. It was his second 15-yard uh, penalty flag of the day. He got one when he uh, I hit the punter kind of late. He was he was rushing the punter, and I actually stopped filming because it, it seemed like the play was over, and he took an extra little shot at the punter. It was kind of fun, but he was fired up. All the players were fired up, and he really was into the game. That, that you know, Neither of those teams were very good this year, but it's your rivalry game and uh, people get fired up for it. And Jabari Ruffin definitely was. Awesome. Well, I mean, I know that, uh, the one thing that, uh, with, with, with Jabari, he's always a guy that gets nicknames. And, uh, I saw a little bit of that blonde hair kind of reminded me of, uh, Wesley Flipes, uh, Wesley Snipes and demolition, man. I was going to say he looked a little bit like uh, the Simon Phoenix character. He might, he might hear a little bit of that from me, uh, maybe later this week. I like, that's a pretty good one. You're really good with the nicknames like that. And that's exactly what, <laughs> That's exactly what he looked like. What what do you think his size was? I think he's about my size, maybe a little bit taller than me. I'm six three. Is he about a six four guy? Yeah, he's about six three. You know, maybe getting closer to that six four range. He he looks like he's grown a little bit. Um, you know, this season and and he he def, definitely has a lot of height, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are intrigued with. You know, him playing that edge role and being a guy that maybe can be a little more of a pass rusher. He's a great athlete. I think that's the biggest thing is that. You know, right now he's just a great athlete because you watch him play for Downey and he plays on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, he's a guy that plays receiver, played a lot of running back this year. I think, you know, he kind of started to wear down a little bit playing too much running back because he was playing a lot of defense. He's playing special teams as well. So they kind of took him out of that role a little bit and put him more at receiver, and uh, and he's been doing that. But, um, I mean, he's a guy that plays all over the field. It's just when he gets to play that linebacker position full-time in college, um, you know, he has to d- evolve more into a football player and be a little more physical, uh, you know, get his fundamentals straight, and just become a little more centered and focused on that particular position. Um, but he's definitely one of those guys that can play kind of all over the field and, and really skilled. I mean, um, you know, you watch him play receiver and he catches the ball really well you know his junior highlights got a couple plays there where he's hurdling guys I mean he's definitely one of those players that, that can can do it with the ball in his hands and you know some of the more successful players that USC has had uh, playing linebacker have been guys that have played offense in high school it's kind of like Brian Cushing who played all over the field I mean he was a punt returner and a kick returner and a receiver and a and a running back himself um, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Lofa Tutupu, uh, Lofa was a guy who was playing quarterback in high school. So, I mean, you know, sometimes having those guys that are skilled and have some awareness with the balls in their hand, that is a really, it's a real attribute that you like to have on the defensive side of the ball just because when they're playing in space, uh, they kind of know just instinctively what to do when the ball's coming their way. They just have an ability, you know, to go to the ball instead of uh, maybe a guy that only plays defense and has only played defense uh, coming up through high school. Um, he's just looking to hit people, and, uh, you know, you can take that ball away. That's, uh, that's even bigger than just, you know, maybe making a team punt. Uh, well, let's, I want to talk about the linebackers a little bit today. And, uh, you know, you know, you know, Jabari, not a great downy team. You got a great player, not a great team. And then uh, the other linebacker commit, uh, Scott Starr, uh, we had Lee write in a question about that. I mean, he saw 
uh, Norco play, and they gave up 49 points, and it was the second time they'd given up a whole bunch of points like that in a game. What happens when you get a guy that's like a, a good player, but maybe his team isn't playing all that well? And it, is it hard to evaluate? What have you and what have you thought of Scott Starr so far? Uh, I think Scott Starr's kind of playing a position where it's easy to scheme him out of the game. Uh, he plays sort of like Ruffin, and he's kind of a stand-up defensive end most of the time, and most of the time he's coming from one side of the field and he's rushing the passer and has not necessarily been a guy that um, is kind of in the middle of all the action. And, in, you know, in high school you can kind of just run away from that defensive end. If you're playing on one side of the field, uh, that team is just going to run the ball away from you on the other side of the field. So um, he's just kind of been schemed out of some games. I saw him play against Upland, which was another game that they got beat, um, you know, pretty pretty handedly. Uh, and Upland's a really good team. I mean, Upland's undefeated right now, and they've got quite a few good players, and, and they just took it to Norco, and Norco made a bunch of mistakes, you know, on their own. And Starr is, is really more of a defensive player, though. I mean, he kind of, that is the position he plays. They don't play him a lot on offense. And so you're not going to see a guy that, you know, maybe they kind of take him out of the game defensively. You can see him do some things offensively. It's pretty much his show is going to be playing outside linebacker slash defensive end. They play like a 3-3 stack defense. And so, um, you know, he, he hasn't really had a, a huge year. Um, he did have some good games early on in the season. He was, you know, averaging about 10 tackles a game. Um, but against some of the better teams, they just play away from him. And, and I don't think Norco as a team is as good as they were last year. And if you don't have a guy opposite of Scott Starr that can make plays, then it makes it a lot easier just to run away from Scott Starr. I saw a little bit with that with Ruffin, too, where a lot of the plays just didn't seem to go to his side. He, he switched around. He went from side to side, uh, but it was almost like they're going to just run away. From, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty big dude. He's, I mean, you could not miss where he was on the field, and I think they tried to go away from him whenever they possibly could. Yeah, I think SC's pretty excited about uh, both those linebackers. And, you know, right now, if there's there's a need at linebacker and there's a, another guy they're looking for, it's got to be a guy that can play in the middle. Um, and, and you know, Star is kind of a strong side guy. They're looking at Ruffin playing weak side. And, again, you talk about that athleticism, maybe a guy that can clean plays up more than be a force guy that has to play a lot of scrimmage and take on a lot of blocks. I think right now they're looking for – a middle linebacker. They're looking for somebody that can kind of come in and and play that middle behind Dawson because they just don't have any depth. I mean, they really don't have a lot of depth this year right now with Gallipo and then Dawson getting hurt. It, the drop-off between Gallipo and Dawson is basically a walk-on. So, you know, next year they won't even have Gallipo there. They're going to need somebody there that can come in and, and spell Dawson that can be a guy that, you know, maybe can compete with Dawson. Maybe he can be a guy that can push for the starting job and push Dawson, the outside linebacker. However it pans out, they definitely seem to need some depth there at middle linebacker. And that's the one position that there's just really not a lot of talent right now, uh, at least on the West Coast. And, you know, it, it typically becomes hard to find that real game-changing middle linebacker. There's not a lot of guys that are coming out of high school like Ray Maluga. You just don't find a ton of those players. You, you tend to have to kind of uh, kind of get a guy and develop him in your system to play a middle linebacker. And, you know, one of the things that I thought uh, just watching the Trojans play this season Maybe, you know, Hayes Pullard is a guy that could maybe move into playing middle linebacker in this system. And he's playing really well on the outside right now. I mean, he and Deion Bailey are, are, are really the big surprises and kind of the standout uh, defensive players that have, I think, taken the defense and, and made it a little better this year than last year. Um, but Pullard is a guy that you kind of get the feel, you know, he's 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 – He's a he's a he's a very he's a vocal guy. He he leads out there on the field. Um, you know, off the field he's pretty quiet, but he has this kind of uh, this way about him that you, you kind of feel like he might be able to take on that position from a from an intangible standpoint. Uh, but then in terms of attributes, while he's a little smaller and obviously you know not as big as a lot of the guys that USC's played, maybe he would fit that role in this particular scheme uh, better uh, than maybe a big 250-pound linebacker like Gallipo. It seems like you know some of the, uh, the deficiencies of the linebacker position for USC right now are in the pass game. I mean, really going dropping back into coverage and while they played really well against Cal it seems kind of you know if you look in the past two years it seems 
those guys drop back really far, and a guy like Galipo is just not necessarily used to that, not necessarily uh, really capable of, of being a guy that's dropping 15 yards back and trying to make a play on the ball, whereas maybe Hayes Plurg would be a guy that could do that. So maybe, you know, that Mike linebacker position, maybe uh, there's a guy on the roster that they can move to that position and develop into being a guy that uh, maybe plays better in that Tampa too. Uh, all right. Well, what, who did you get to see, Gerard? Uh, where, I know you went to a game. Where did you go? Uh, I went to uh, Vista Marietta and Chaparral uh, down in Temecula and watched uh, the rivalry game uh, between the Pumas and the Broncos and uh, really went down to focus on Sewell Craven's uh, 2013 athlete that uh, just received a verbal scholarship offer from USC last week. Um, a guy that's been tearing it up all season, been talking about him being definitely a, a USC-level guy that we were kind of waiting for him to get his scholarship offer, and he did get a scholarship offer um, just this last week. And uh, interestingly enough, he, he hadn't really talked to the USC coaches. Uh, they had, the offer was forwarded basically through his high school coaches. And his interpretation of the offer is that USC kind of wants him to play that hybrid H-back Stanley Havili type position, um, which I don't know is necessarily true. I think USC right now, they're recruiting him as an athlete. I don't know if there's necessarily uh, been a label put on as to, you know, the specific type position where they want him. Uh, maybe that's some interpretation by his own coaches more than it is what USC is uh, really recruiting him as. Um, I-, I can tell you one thing. Sua definitely wants to play safety. He's not going to say that. He doesn't come out and say, you know, hey, I, I want to play one position over the other. Uh, he's a smart kid, a uh, really good kid, really um, well-spoken and, and, you know, definitely kind of knows that the, the to kind of play politics a little bit, and he says, you know, I don't have a position preference. I'll go in wherever my coaches want me to play and give it 100%, you know, it doesn't matter. But talking to him about uh, just, you know, what he likes about USC and the first thing out of his mouth was, well, Troy Polamalu, uh, Taylor Mays, Darnell Bing, I love those big safeties. I've always dreamt about being a safety at USC. That's like my dream. And so, you know, he wants to play safety, I think. I think it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, he'd like to play safety, and uh, and he may get that chance. You know, I mean, you, it's very early in the process, and watching him play, you know, he's about 6'1", 6'2", about 200 pounds. Um, you know, he's played a lot of running back for Vista Marietta in the past few games and, and been pretty good um, and, and played very well defensively. But in this game, really, his, his spotlight uh, plays were all at receiver. Um, he wears number 21, and watching him play was – you know, we were just coming from the live show and we were watching uh, Cal play USC and number 21 for Cal is Keenan Allen was making all kinds of plays against USC, caught 12 balls, which was, uh, you know, a, a season high for him and a career high. And you kind of looked at Sue Craven and he kind of was looking like Keenan Allen out there. I mean, he made really, really good catches, uh, killing, killing uh, Chaparral on the slam pass, just was killing them all game long. And then on the lone offensive touchdown of the game, uh, he ran a, a nice kind of slant and go. It was almost like a, a slant and fade. He came in hard on the slant, kind of sat down, and then turned on it and uh, faded out towards the corner of the end zone and caught the ball and made a touchdown. Uh, one of the, the best plays that he, he actually didn't make, he almost made, was a catch on a, a kind of a flare pattern. He was lined up as a running back and then um, kind of came up on the flare. And then when he saw the linebacker sit down, he just headed up field, and, and, and the ball was just really overthrown. And he almost made like a Robert Woods type laid out catch, and he just kind of fumbled it a little bit and kind of trapped it as he kind of reached out for it and was just completely he was laid out for this ball and uh, really watching him play offensively, he's a very skilled player. And you know, I kind of thought coming in to watch him, I'd see a guy that really should be recruited as a linebacker, you know, maybe a big safety, but I'm thinking more linebacker, and that's what he played uh, when he was at the uh, the Nike camp in Los Angeles uh, last spring when we first saw him. Uh, but watching him play offense, I can see where, you know, you know, maybe being a running back, maybe being a guy that's a, a little bit of that Stanley Havili, that's not a bad call. You know, I, like I said, I don't know if that's you yet necessarily – what USC really is saying and really wants out of him, but I can see where, you know, in college that would not be a bad position for him. Uh, he may end up being a little tall for that because he, he's a pretty tall, lanky kid, and I think he's going to get a lot bigger. Um, but his skill is uh, it's undeniable on, on offense, and uh, he did seal the game uh, by uh, intercepting a pass, uh, pick six, uh, for a touchdown, which kind of uh, put the game away for Vista Marietta. So he also had that on defense. I mean, he also um, had a big-time defensive play. You know, around the line of scrimmage, not necessarily 
super aggressive or super physical, though. Uh, not, you know, a guy that uh, was coming up and just laying people out left and right. Um, definitely more, like I said, a skilled player, and I think that's going to be where he kind of falls into place uh, coming into college wherever he signs. All right, and then uh, maybe one last thing, Gerard. I think we get some questions about the uh, the Fab Five and the offensive line and all that stuff. Maybe is there any update on any of those guys? Um, not really. I mean, we went and, and saw Jordan Simmons uh, this past week. Um, he just got his Army All-American um, presentation and, and invitation officially last week. He's been, you know, officially uh, he was invited a long time ago, but this was the, you know, official presentation where they do the, the whole invitation and uh, gets his jersey and everything. And, um, you know, talked uh, at length with his parents, uh, both Joel and Latanya, who uh really great people. And, and you talk to them and you really get a feel for how seriously they've, they've taken this process, the due diligence that they've done in researching each school and, and really trying to find, uh, you know, the best fit for Jordan and kind of how they've gone about it. You know, Jordan had played with the idea of actually committing at this ceremony. He's kind of gotten sick of the, the recruiting process a little bit and, you know, and kind of gone back and forth as to whether he wanted to end it early or not. But his parents kind of encouraged him to, to see it through a little longer, you know, try to take some visits and get to see some schools um, before, you know, making any kind of an announcement. And so right now he's kind of pushed it back to November, maybe December. He's kind of playing it by ear as to, you know, when he actually makes a decision and commits. Um, but regardless of when he commits, he's going to take all five of his official visits. He's um, pretty determined to do that and to see as many schools as possible. Um, so we'll kind of see how, how that plays out. I think USC is in a really good position with him right now. You know, I haven't talked to his parents and haven't talked to him and, and getting a feel for you know what they're looking at for school and, and what they want to get out of a school. I think um, that, that USC is in a good position. But you know we've talked about it with Jordan Simmons a, a lot. You know He, he definitely changed uh, his opinion a little bit of USC pretty fast over the summer is to, you know, kind of a school that was almost on the outside looking in of his, of his recruitment. And then, you know, he goes down to USC and just gets a little more time with the coaches during fall camp and gets to watch a few practices. And, you know, he all of a sudden, he really warmed up to USC and all of a sudden USC becomes a school to beat. So it can change that fast with these kids. It, it always does. And the, and the recruiting process seems year by year, um, there's less certain going into, you know, December and January, and, it, and it's hard to really get a read on, you know, who's going to end up where. Even when you've got uh, all these guys committed, it seems like, you know, sometimes half the class is off taking visits, and, and anything can happen when a kid takes an official visit to another school. It's, it's really hard to kind of read how that official visit impacts their recruitment. So uh, we'll see what happens with Jordan Simmons. But, you know, definitely right now, USC is in a good place, and um, it's going to be uh, a, a significant recruiting battle that USC really – I don't want to say must win because at this point there's still a few, you know, really good players on the offensive line on the board, but definitely a local player that is as dominant as Jordan Simmons, USC has to try to get him. I mean, they have to sign him. Um, they have to try to get uh, Kyle Murphy. Um, they have to try to get as many as the local guys as possible and, and build that proverbial fence around Southern California when it comes to the offensive line position just because, they, A, they need offensive linemen, and, B, that's what great programs do. They start inside out. They start, you know, defending their home territory, especially when it's one as rich in town as Southern California, and then they start being able to work their way out and cherry-pick, uh, you know, other positions where, you know, locally maybe it's not as strong year in, year out. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. We uh, appreciate all the recruiting insight. Two weeks in a row, I think, you've had on the podcast. That's good stuff. We like that. Well, I had to do the team thing for the Thursday night game, which was completely me winging it. Uh, <laughs> you did a great job. Yeah. And, 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 and trying to kind of, you know, talk about uh, the game as is. And it was fun, but it was definitely kind of a different experience just because uh, uh, it's not my normal gig, you know. I was, I was disappointed the fans didn't. I was and I was telling I was telling Ryan people I was telling Ryan I was going there's no way I get out of this night without somebody on chat at least bringing up something about recruiting and lo and behold at, at least from what I understand nobody did and so I'm still disappointed in the recruitniks out there usually you know team talk and a game won't stop them from asking recruiting questions certainly yeah and uh, if if you don't know what we're referring to we did that UStream show on Thursday for the game we did a pregame halftime and postgame so we did live broadcasts. Uh, for a half hour, about for all three different segments, and they, they're all we're going to put those up on uh, 
Parastyle Podcast. Um, so you can check that out and see what was going on there. But uh, parastylepodcast.com, or you can see them on uscfootball.com. But check those videos out. But Gerard, yeah, Gerard came in, and uh, since Dan was on the road, we had Gerard doing team stuff, and you did a great job, man. I guess so. I hope so. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, I mean it's one of those things where you're just trying to uh, – Give as much insight as possible. I mean, we watch TV all the time. We watch these talking heads, and they're just TV personalities, and they're not guys that really talk about what's going on in the game, what to expect from the game, what to expect from either team, what might work, what might not work. I mean, maybe we get too detailed and too over people's heads with, you know, scheme and talking about, you know, why they should, uh, you know, run more zone blitz against a team like Cal on a three-step drop and why they need to get their hands up if teams are going to have three-step drops. And, you know, we're really trying to give people something interesting to think about when they're watching the game. And we actually did the halftime and then we did post-game. It was a long-ass night, man. It was, uh, was, a, crazy it was, a, lot of, it was a lot of work. That was, yeah, I've never done, you know, that's a lot of live internet TV. And it was, uh, it definitely was crazy. I was very stressed. And it was hot as heck, and, and we did it at McKay's, and it was uh, pretty warm there. But um, it was very stressful evening, but we pulled it off. It was not bad. It was. It was It was cool. And, um, you know, always trying to push the envelope for uscfootball.com, trying to give people, you know, different ways of uh, being able to absorb all the information that we put out there and, um, you know, just another avenue. So we always enjoy your feedback, people. Always, I'm always asking people, you know, what do you think of the live show? And they're like, well, you know, I haven't seen the live show. you got to see the live show. I mean, it, you know, it could be something that you really like. You could hate it. Either way, let us know uh, because we're always trying to kind of uh, to mold and, and, and shape these things and, and try to give you a better experience on the website. Cool. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again. And uh, everyone else, Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back again next week with another show talking about what happened when USC went to Notre Dame. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.